1: Hello and welcome to episode 135 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercogliano of the USA Today Network, and we have a jam-packed episode for you guys today. Lots of New York Rangers news to cover. We're going to get to all that right away. We also have a visit this week. From a first-time guest who I'm sure many of you are very familiar with and a guy who I really enjoyed talking to. So I think you're going to have fun with that one. And that would be Mike Rupp, former player for several teams, including the Rangers. And now a really good analyst, I think, on NHL Network, among other places. So Mike will be on the show to break down what he is seeing from the Rangers lately in just a little while. And you also get the benefit of having a very jet lad host this week. We are back from that week-long West Coast trip that featured four games in six nights. I can tell you from just being along on that trip and bouncing from one city to the next, it was extremely tiring. I can only imagine how the players feel. I also feel like... Not that I'm super old, but you know, by, I guess, playing standards, I would be super old because I'm 36. But each year, this trip, recovering from it, seems to be a little bit harder than the previous year. Like when I was in my 20s and I was changing time zones or going to California or whatever it might be, I always felt like I adjusted back to the East Coast time pretty quickly. But man... This first morning was rough getting up for practice. And I know just in chatting with some of the players in the locker room on Thursday, a lot of them were feeling it as well. A lot of guys talking about trying to go to sleep early and then waking up in the middle of the night or not being able to fall asleep and then being super tired when their alarm went off and all that different kind of stuff. So I'm definitely feeling it. So my apologies in advance if I stumble or mispronounce anything or mess up in any ways, But I'm running off of fumes running off a coffee, had myself a nice lunch. I'm done with my writing for the day. So that is a relief. And now we can focus on the podcast. And I mentioned the writing for the day, and that is where I want to start with the news of the day, which is what I just finished writing about. There is some very good news for the Rangers that came out of Thursday's practice, as well as some kind of sad news, I guess you could call it. The good news is that Philip Hedl, for the first time in nearly three months, skated with the team in a practice setting. Of course, he was wearing one of those red non-contact jerseys for a guy who hasn't practiced with the team in about 12 weeks. You certainly were not expecting him to jump right in and be banging bodies and full contact, full go right off the bat. But given everything that we know he's gone through with these multiple concussions, and the most recent one really being a scary one by all accounts, really being one where the symptoms did not get better in a short period of time, in fact, seemed to worsen at times, and there was stopping and going and stalling and uncertainty and all of these different factors that have led to this extended absence for Philip Heedle. And we know that eventually it reached the point where the Rangers called it a reset They gave him permission to go back home to Czechia. He did that right before the new year. I believe it was right after Christmas in late December. Spent a few weeks back home, and it sounds like that really did help him. I think the double whammy of number one, being able to focus on getting better in a comfortable setting, Was beneficial for him and it sounds like he's made some really good progress and some really good strides as far as how he feels in the last few weeks. But I also think the mental health side of it, just being able to be around family and loved ones and get away from the solitude of having to work on your own before the team skates every day at the training center in Tarrytown. So I think that was probably not helping him either. And so that's why the team felt like allowing him to go home was probably a good idea. He flew back on Monday, had a couple days to get settled back in, and then Thursday, which will be the last practice the Rangers have before this week or so long break that they have coming up for their bye week slash all-star break, He got this practice in, which was a huge step in the right direction, and now you can start to dream of the possibilities. Now, what seemed very much in doubt for a long time regarding whether or not Hedl would be able to play again this season, would be able to play again at all. Of course, when a situation like this happens, you think of some of the extreme examples in the past where we've seen players in multiple sports have to step away from the game Or even retire at a young age because of multiple concussions and the symptoms that seem to get worse with each one of them. So that was the worst case scenario. That was the fear when it came to HEDL. But I've been telling you guys this for a while. I've been hearing this and just knowing Heedle the way that I've gotten to know him over the years, such an intense worker, a guy who really truly loves the game. And you can say that about so many different players, but this is a guy who makes a habit of being one of the first guys on the ice, one of the last guys off. His work ethic, his habits away from the ice, as far as taking care of his body, skill work, what he eats, what he puts into his body is exemplary. He is one of the most driven, focused hockey players that I've covered as far as my five years on the beat with the Rangers. So there was no doubt in my mind that he was going to be highly motivated to get back. And what we're seeing is a guy who's pushing to do just that and seems to, at least for right now, be in a good place. We haven't been able to speak to him directly. The Rangers won't make him available until after he's activated. And we don't know when that will be. Peter LaViolette was very clear again on Thursday, that he does not want to put a time frame on this. It's a delicate situation. It's a situation where the Rangers are absolutely going to proceed with caution. But seeing him on the ice in this practice setting was huge. He didn't participate in some of the situations where guys were mixing it up and physicality was involved and things like that. But he did participate in most drills. You could see him keeping somewhat of a safe distance when there was a battle for the puck along the boards or things like that. But he was involved in the drills. He took some line rushes. We'll get into exactly where he skated and maybe where he might fit in once he returned. And overall, a very encouraging day. And after we went into the locker room and spoke to some other players and did our usual routine, on the way out, of course, what did I notice? But Hedl was still on the ice with Christian Humera, the new skills coach for the Rangers this season. And the two of them were doing some extra work after practice. So he certainly, to me, looked like a guy that's gearing up. And maybe now the possibility is that after this all-star break, he might be cleared and we might see him try some full contact practices in early February, in which case, maybe at some point in the month of February, it becomes realistic for the Rangers to think about activating him and putting him back in in the lineup. So that was definitely the headline of the day, the good news of the day for the Rangers. Philip Hito still a ways to go, but this was the most significant sign of progress that we've had for him now in almost three months. But then on the other side of the coin, and maybe this speaks a little bit to the faith that the Rangers have that Hito will be back at some point in the near future, we got word that the Rangers are waving Nick Benino they're placing him on waivers. Thursday we will find out on Friday if he does indeed clear. What the future holds for him remains up in the air. Laviolette did not want to comment on that. But with Benino, you know there's a special relationship there. You know there are special ties there. They spent years together in Nashville, and I absolutely believe that Laviolette was one of the people who advocated for the Rangers to sign him to that one-year deal. Over the summer, he was signed with the intentions of being the fourth line center. But what we've seen materialize since Hedl went out is that Benito has sort of been forced to play in a role that isn't very well suited for him. And that's whether you want to call it the third line or if you don't want a number, whatever. It's a line where a little more offense is expected. And that is not his strong suit. This guy has five points in 45 games. That line when he was playing on there. A lot of times with Will Cooley and Blake Wheeler, but the parts changed a little bit there at times. But regardless, Benito was pretty consistently there for a number of weeks. And that line was a black hole offensively for the Rangers. And I know I've talked about this before. I wrote about this over the course of the West Coast trip because there was a game in LA where Benino was actually a healthy scratch for the first time all season. So that was just sort of starting to hint of the writing on the wall that maybe, He was falling out of favor a little bit. If you look at the analytics, I mean, pretty much every category he ranks as the worst player on this roster. And if you look at the comparison between, for example, the fourth line when he played on there with VC and Goudreau versus the fourth line when Tyler Pitlick played with VC and Goudreau, I mean, it's like night and day. You're talking about like a 20-something expected goal rate versus a 50-something expected goal rate. So clearly the fourth line has performed better when it's been Pitlick in that role with VC and Goudreau versus having Benito there. So I think it was becoming harder for the Rangers to ignore the fact that the impact was not there for Benito. I heard from a source today also that I know speed is a concern. We've talked about team speed being something that the Rangers want to improve upon. And there was a feeling that they just weren't getting enough of that. that Benino wasn't keeping up in that defensive sort of role, even when he was playing there, to feel like he was going to be a guy that they realistically were going to have in the lineup down the stretch. They already, I think, believe, and the numbers certainly bear this out, that the fourth line is better off with Pitlick on it. And then I think once we get to the trade deadline and we expect the Rangers to add at least one forward, that would have pushed Benino even further down the depth chart. So is it a little bit of a surprise that they waived him? Yes. But it also, if you're putting the best lineup out there, I think it's pretty clear at this point that he is not a part of that. And with Hedl coming back, you hope, and with you expecting to add at least one more piece at the trade deadline, it was pretty clear that Benino was not going to be in this playoff lineup as you draw it up. So what happens next is going to be interesting. I do know that the Rangers would like to, would intend to assign him to Hartford if he does clear waivers, but I think they're also going to treat him with the respect that he deserves as a veteran who's accomplished a lot in the league, 35 years old, really well respected by his teammates, by La Violette, by the front office. If he makes it clear to them that he does not want to go to the AHL and he would like to be outright released and have an opportunity to pursue whatever might be out there for him, I, you know, if another team wants him, they could probably just claim him on waivers, but who knows what he might see as his future. They're going to respect that is my understanding. So if he indicates he does not want to go to Hartford, then I think that they will grant him a full release and they'll move on from there. If he is willing to go to Hartford, well, that would be good for the Rangers because at least then it keeps a depth piece intact at a position, the center position, where you know they don't have a ton of depth. So it's possible he ends up at Hartford. We'll find out more information on that should be by Friday afternoon. In the meantime, the Rangers are in this spot where they could really use a boost, whether it's Heatle coming back or, or whatever it might be, because things are not great for this team right now. This is arguably the low point of the season that we're looking at at the moment. They lost three out of four games on that West Coast trip. They've lost eight out of 12 to begin the new year. And if we go back to that date that we've referenced so many times, that December 5th cutoff, which is basically, at this point, the Rangers played half their season before that date and half their season after it. Going back to December 5th, they are 11, 11, and two. So they're basically a 500 team and they've only won 11 out of their last 24 games. So I don't think we can just classify this anymore as a tough stretch. This has been an extended period of time now where they've basically been an inconsistent, mediocre team. And that is troubling in a lot of ways. It's I think troubling within the walls of the locker room, too, because there were points in the recent past where there was this confidence of, well, we played so well early in the season. We're going through a couple little ups and downs now, but we're confident we can get out of it. This is just a little thing that we're going through. Well, now it's kind of a bigger slide than that. And the frustration stemming from that has been palpable in a lot of ways. Some of the post-game locker rooms that I saw on that West Coast trip were among the most dejected locker rooms that I've seen for the Rangers really all season. And, and you could go back the last couple seasons. They are feeling like they just can't get the results that they want recently. They can't get out of their own way at times. And that loss in San Jose, the most recent one on Tuesday night, that was especially deflating. The Rangers will tell you Every opponent needs to be taken seriously. Every team in this league can win on any given night. And to a certain degree, that's all true. But the Sharks have the worst record in the NHL. They had played the previous night in a different city. Granted, it's not that far. It's a relatively short plane ride. But still, they had played the previous night in a different city in Los Angeles, then had to get on a plane, get back to San Jose super late on the night before the game, wake up the next day, and then play the Rangers who hadn't played the day before had had a day off before and presumably should have been well-rested at that point. So to play a Sharks team that's the worst in the NHL, coming off of a shootout game the night before in a different city and having to travel to get to the game the next day, all of those things should have been working in the Rangers' favor. And even though I don't think the Rangers were clicking on all cylinders in the first couple periods of that game— They didn't make any killer mistakes. They sort of went through the motions, took care of business for the most part, and had themselves a 2-0 lead going into that third period. Then the wheels come off. And when I say the wheels come off, I don't necessarily mean that the Rangers got dominated that whole third period, but they made a couple costly mistakes, which has been the case with this team over and over again recently, specifically... The first goal that the Sharks scored, which comes from Eric Gustafson, making, Laviolette called it a tough break. Maybe it was a bad bounce, but it was also an ill-advised pass where he was trying to pass it behind the Rangers net to Braden Schneider, and the puck bounces off the boards and ends up coming off in a way that goes directly to a Sharks player for an easy goal that all of a sudden gave them some momentum, cut the lead to 2-1. to Crucial mistakes in a moment like that have been happening over and over again for the Rangers and then from there it just felt like oh man they're hanging on for dear life they end up eventually giving up the tying goal which sends the game to overtime and yes if you watch that overtime play where the Sharks scored the game winner there was absolutely multiple picks on that play but the Rangers got what they deserved ultimately because they should have had their foot on the throat of a team like that. That is a team that you need to expect to beat, especially when you've been going through this skid recently and you need to snap yourselves out of it. And they end up coming out on the short end of the stick of an overtime loss that I think will stick out as one of the worst losses of the season so far. And what made it even more deflating for them on top of all the other things that we just listed off is that the game before Sunday night in Anaheim they at least from talking to the players afterward seemed to feel like they found something in that win over the Anaheim Ducks that's another game where they did not play a great game overall the first two periods they were trailing they were down two nothing it was a game where Somehow the Ducks, which are another one of those bottom-feeding teams in the NHL, even though the Rangers definitely dominated possession in that game, it seemed like the quality chances that they gave up to the Ducks were turning into goals, and it was having them feeling like, oh my god, are we going to lose this game again? Are they going to let another game slip away in an environment where you feel like, based on possession, based on the shot rates, based on the quality of the chances, they're not giving up a whole lot, but they are getting burned on the chances that they are giving up. Then all of a sudden, that urgency clicked. It set in for the third period. They rattle off five unanswered goals to win that game. And maybe now you feel like, okay, they have something to build on. So to then go into San Jose and lose in the fashion that they did, blowing a two-goal lead in the third period, again, that one stung for sure. And so now they come back to New York. They're jet lagged, just like I am. They are reeling from three losses out of the four games on that trip, and they have to turn around and play back-to-back games Friday and Saturday before they get to finally look ahead to this break. And oh, by the way, the Saturday game requires them to get back on a plane and go to Ottawa. So not an easy task for the Rangers right now. They got to dig deep right now because if they don't show up or if they don't play the way that would at least make you feel like things are starting to turn back in the right direction. If they lose both or even maybe one of these final two games, depending on how they look in the two games, that's going to leave a really sour taste in their mouth going into the break. So it's a little bit of a gut check time for the Rangers right now, because things are just not going their way recently. And the last thing I want to touch on here, just there's a handful of reasons for that. I've been finding myself, especially on the flight home, from I actually flew from San Francisco but on the cross-country flight home on Wednesday night just thinking about all the different factors that are going into this losing streak and, and where they need to improve what are the problems that the Rangers need to fix we've talked a lot about the rush chances that they allow and Peter Laviolette multiple times on this trip when either I asked him or someone else asked him about what are the top problems that he's seeing, what are his priorities as far as what the Rangers need to get better at, continues to bring up defending the rush. Now, he's made a point of saying that he thinks they've been giving up fewer rush chances in recent games. And I do believe that from watching the games, that's true. And if you dive into the analytics, it also looks like that's, for the most part, pretty true. But they are still making those big mistakes in big moments, those costly turnovers and it does seem like the other team is converting those at a really high rate. So improving that team defense, improving the way that they defend the rush, better puck management. We're going to talk about all that stuff at Mike Rupp, but th- those things are very high on the top of the list of concerns for the Rangers right now. And as you continue to go down that list, one thing sort of feeds into the other. The other problem that they're having right now from a defensive standpoint is that their goalie, Igor Shesterkin is just not bailing them out at the rate that we expect him to do so. His save percentage is now down to 902 again. It's been hovering right around 900. He's one bad game away from being 900 or under, which would be really eye-opening. That would be really jarring for a goalie who has won a Vesna Trophy and who is considered one of the best in the world. So even though if you look at a lot of these goals in a vacuum, like you look at that San Jose game, I find it very hard to blame igor really for any of those goals the one that came off the gustafson turnover i mean that one was at a play where he expected the puck to be cleared the rangers had possession and then in a flash all of a sudden it's right back in the shark's hands right next to a wide open net so that one i find hard to blame igor for the second one in that game was a tip another one where you probably aren't going to blame the goalie very much and then you look at the overtime winner i mean That's basically a a shot that I don't think anybody's going to save, especially given the picks and the wide open situation the Sharks found themselves in on that goal. So it's not like you're looking at a goal and you're like, oh man, that was really a softie. That was really one that he has to have. There have been some of those recently, but I, I can't say I saw that in the San Jose game. But the fact of the matter is that even one of those goals in any of these last few games where he makes a big save in one of those spots and changes the momentum. That could be the difference between winning and losing. We've talked about that before. And the goalie play is just not at the level that you expect it to be when you have a guy like Shosturkin. So that is clearly another one of the problems. I know we've addressed that one as well. To me, increasingly so, the lack of – Laviolette called it hunting – The other day, which is a word that stood out to me, and Mike Rupp is going to talk about this a little bit more in a few minutes, but just that intensity, that hard to play against mantra that we've heard the Rangers talk so much about, and that comes into play when you're talking about defending the rush, back-checking hard, being physical, just having that mentality where you are taking it to the opponent. You are playing every shift with the utmost intensity, just buzzing around the ice, whether it's offensively, peppering the opposing goalie with shots, getting to the tough areas. The Rangers, I think, have had far too many shot opportunities from the perimeter recently and not enough where they're really working hard to get inside and get into those high danger areas. Just all of these things, those, I don't want to call them gritty elements, but just the hard working elements. Even when it comes to the neutral zone trap that we talked so glowingly about earlier in the season, it just doesn't feel like the Rangers are executing with the ferocity that we saw early in the season. And it feels like they just need a spark right now in that energy department as well. Just need to get it to where they're clicking. They're all on the same page. They're reading off of each other and they're playing their butts off on every shift. It just feels like that hunting mentality that LaViolette said they had in the games where he felt like they have played their best, it hasn't been there all the time. You even had players after that San Jose game saying we took our foot off the gas. And I know it's the middle of the season. I know it's the dog days. I know guys are banged up. Guys are tired. I understand all that. But they need to show that they can turn it on again. Laviolette talked about this not being a, a switch that you can just flick on and off whenever you feel like it. He talked about building the habit of being a team that makes the opponent work for everything they get. And that just has not been consistent enough for the Rangers recently, in my mind. And then I think from an offensive perspective, we've seen this team go from a point where they had the power play clicking and a lot of things going their way to now the power play has gone kind of cold. And even though that Panarin Trocek Lafreniere line has still been really good, they accounted for both goals in that San Jose game. The rest of the lineup is just not carrying their weight. It obviously starts with the Mika Zibanejad, Chris Kreider line, which looks like it's getting another minor shakeup based on Thursday's practice capo Caco was up there for a few games. I, I think it's very clear that LaViolette is not loving what he's seeing from Caco right now because he's demoted him in a couple games. And now for Thursday's practice, it was Blake Wheeler back up there skating with Zibanejad and Kreider, who LaViolette still seems very reluctant to, to break those guys up. I understand the options are limited. That's obviously a really big factor here. But that line as a whole, regardless of who the right winger has been, has not been getting it done consistently enough. And then the bottom six, as we talked about when we were addressing Benino, the bottom six has just kind of been a black hole offensively. So relying so much on that Panarin line is really coming back to bite the Rangers because they're not getting enough from the rest of the guys. And that sort of leads me to the final point that I want to make here. And this is something that I'm very much thinking about addressing more. I think all of these factors I want to write more about probably once we get into next week and I can catch my breath a little bit. But I really think what is coming back to haunt the Rangers right now is the lack of development when it comes to a lot of the forwards that they accumulated during that rebuild period who were supposed to step up and help the likes of Panarin and Zabanajad and Kreider and give them some secondary scoring, give them more of a deep look to the lineup. Because right now, if you go through the list... Of all the prospects that they brought in during the rebuild, all the guys that they drafted, there aren't a whole lot who are really impacting this Rangers roster right now. Alexi Lafreniere, of all of them, is certainly having the best season. I still feel like he's left a lot of goals on the table. We talked about that. As far as the high danger chances that he's getting, they're there. He's just not converting on a whole lot of them. So you hope that that will come. I'm not, I don't. I think he's probably the hardest guy to knock right now, but of course, Him being selected number one overall in the draft a few years ago, I think everybody expected him to be at a point where he's probably putting up more points than he is at this stage of his career. I think he's got 27 or 28 points right now with 47 games played. So definitely an improvement for him, but still not at the point where you feel like you have a star on your hands. And he might not be that. But the point is, I think that there's more in there. But he's been the least of their concerns. You go down the list. Capo Kako, in part due to injury, in part due to when he is playing, he has not been very productive. He has been a big disappointment for the Rangers this year. Philip Hedl, obviously dealing with the concussions, being out of the lineup, not helping them right now. That has hurt them massively. But you could also look at some of the other guys that have come and gone that you hoped at this point might be impacting this roster, whether it was Vitali Kratsoff, Leah Sanderson, Brett Howden, who... Really never seemed to find his way or find his niche here with the Rangers, and now we went out and saw him in Vegas scoring an empty netter, being a valuable fourth liner for a Stanley Cup-winning team. The Rangers envisioned that for him, but it just never happened here. You can keep going on down the list. There have just been a lot of instances where the Rangers either drafted or acquired young players expecting them to all be a part or at least some be a part of when they finally got over that hump and became a contending team. And right now you don't have enough of those guys contributing for a variety of reasons. Will Cooley, we certainly have to give a hat tip to him because he has been very valuable for the Rangers. I think he's exactly the type of bottom six player that they need. And so that's a feather in their cap. They certainly seem to have gotten a pretty good one there. And I think that they did the right thing by him with his development by not rushing him, giving him that full year at Hartford, and now they're reaping the benefits. So Cooley definitely checks off as what looks like could be a win for them. Hedo, when he comes back, could fall into that category. Obviously, you're still going to have to count on Lafreniere and Kako. Lafreniere making a lot of progress right now. Kako clearly in a rut between the injury and the ineffectiveness when he does play. But you look at this lineup, and they've been forced to rely on on guys like Benino or guys like Tyler Pitlick guys veterans that they've had to go out there and and acquire because not enough of those players that came out of the rebuild have really risen up to become staples in this lineup to be impact players in this lineup whether it's a top six guy or a bottom six guy because you need to develop your own bottom six guys too and right now the only real bottom six guy for the Rangers who they've developed on their own and has been mostly available and effective for them this season is Will Cooley. So I think that that's coming home to roost a little bit right now. You have to take all of these on a case-by-case basis. Some of them have worked out better than others. Some of them, it maybe is less about development and more about just being a bad draft pick to begin with. But For a variety of reasons, we're at a point right now where I think the forward depth from the Rangers is questionable. They're once again going to have to go out at the trade deadline and surrender assets in order to plug holes that they haven't been able to plug internally. And and that, I think, is part of what is hurting them right now. Uh, Long-winded answer there, but a lot of these things have sort of been percolating on my mind in these last few weeks. I still believe this is a quality team. We're about to talk about it with Mike Rupp. I still believe that they have the ability to write the ship, especially if Heel comes back, and especially as they fortify this roster at the deadline. But I also think that there are some legitimate concerns and some legitimate questions that need to be answered before we really feel like this team is good enough to not just make the playoffs. We've talked about this multiple times. It's not just about making the playoffs. It's about being good enough to go out and win a championship. And that's how they're going to be judged. And they got a lot of stuff to fix before we feel like they are at that point. So with that, this is a long opening segment. Like I said, a lot of stuff to get to. So let's shift gears before I find myself talking anymore and get to this interview with Mike Rupp. Now, let's welcome into the show a first time guest, but a guy that I know I've been following for a while, and I'm sure many of you have been following for a while as well. A former Ranger, among many other teams, also won a Stanley Cup with the Devils. That might not be the most popular thing to say on this show, but he's now an analyst as well for NHL Network and for Sportsnet in Pittsburgh. And that would be Mike Rupp. So, Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Happy to have you. How's it going?
0: What's up, buddy? Yeah, good to be on. Uh, yeah, I mean, winning a cup in New Jersey might not be the best thing to say on a, a Ranger pod, but I hey, will say this. You guys remember when I was wearing a blue shirt, I did shove Marty into the crossbar, so that should buy me some bonus points, I would, I would think.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, I think it does. It, you you played, I think it was like during the height of the Lundquist reign. I believe John Tortorella was still the coach at the time. What was it, like a, a season and a half or something like that you were with the Rangers?
0: Yeah, so it was it was um that uh wouldn't it have been uh, 11 12 season and then 12 13 so in that time that's when we had that the the lockout missed half the season or, or whatever the exact number was um so I mean I guess calendar is probably uh, yeah about a year and a half um, over two seasons it was an awesome time it was, I man I, I love playing in New York we had such a good team had a, a great culture identity hank was uh, that was his vesna year um man i had a great time and uh you know i've I've always followed the rangers very closely and actually it's kind of funny And last, so i live in new jersey um in central jersey and just a couple years ago when the rangers went to the eastern final it was it was cool because i just the way my schedule worked out i was i was kind of i had some some days off in between uh or, or kind of during each series and Started going to uh, a couple Ranger games during the playoffs. And it was really cool because I, it was the first time, honestly, man, since I was a kid that I went as like a fan. And I was all about the run. Um, again, follow the team. And the only guy left on the team that I played with was Crides. And uh, it was cool to go to the game. I had my Rangers hat on, like having a couple beers. Like it was, I had such a great time. And from then on, seeing MSG lit up like that, it brought me back to when I played for the Rangers. And, you know, I've, I've had a soft spot for them ever since.
1: That that sounds like fun. I haven't been able to do that, go to the game, and have a few beers in a long time. I should put that. I want to do that at some point. You got to do it. You,
0: you can enjoy it so much more. I mean, it's like, that's why everybody loves the game, right? And, and no matter, you're covering the game, playing the game, whatever. And and when you're doing it, you sometimes you, you forget how cool it is right, to be at MSG and, and watch a team like that with that crowd and especially in the playoffs. And, uh, man, I loved it. And it kind of it made me want to – I try to utilize that as much as I can, just some off days going and enjoy it like a fan.
1: Yeah, no, that's awesome. Actually, the, the last professional sporting event I went to without working and was able to enjoy myself and have a couple beers was week one for the Jets uh, when Aaron Rodgers got hurt. So that's a that's oh, a, no. a, a, yeah that's oh, a, no. that was a tough one. Uh, that's a story for another day. But I guess what, what we're reminiscing a little bit about the Rangers here, you just got me thinking. I'm putting you on the spot. I'm sure some of it is probably the playoffs, but like any really vivid or favorite memories from your time playing for the Rangers in that era when there were so many big personalities here, I'm sure, I'm sure there's some interesting stuff going on with torts in the locker room or some of the players on the team in the locker room. But like when you look back on that time in your life, does anything jump out in your memory?
0: Yeah, I just, I I love the group and I love there was a bunch of man. It was dating myself a little bit. Um, but it felt like we had like a throwback team, right? You know, and it was our captain, it was Callie. I mean, you talk about a player. I I hated playing against him. Um, Great leader, great teammate. The stuff that I saw him, Dan Girardi, Ryan McDonough go through on a daily basis. I get to work with Brian Boyle now, and it's great reconnecting with him as far as blocking shots. I remember Brandon Pruss um, playing against him, and, you know, he's a smaller guy that, never backed down from anybody. We had a real identity on that team. And I think Kelly's that the one that kind of stands out. And that was, that was the, if you remember back then, we, we were kind of, our nickname was the black and blue shirts. Like we had, we led the league in fighting majors. We led the league in block shots. We were probably one of the league leaders in hits. We had a really good team too. Like, let's not forget, you know, we had Gabby, Maren Gabrick, we had Brad Richards. Uh, I mean, we, we had a, a good squad too. They can put up some points and, I remember it was just like a great blend, and ever since doing this in the media, it's like I always think back to those games. Like we had all the bases covered, and we fell a little short in the Eastern Conference Finals in in twenty twelve. But we, uh, you know, we had a great coaching staff, and uh, th- those are the things I I think I missed the most is, is that was like that was a team. I'll, I can't forget another guy, Brandon Dubinsky. I hated playing against him and having him uh, playing with him on a nightly basis. Just one of those thorn in your side type guys, and we had a little bit of an answer for everything I felt like.
1: It's it's interesting. You got me thinking that talking about identity as we shift to maybe look at this year's team a bit. I think that they have been maybe going back and forth with the, exactly what that identity might be because when Laviolette came in, What he talked about a lot and what we saw them execute really well during those first couple months of the season when they were off and running as one of the best teams in the league was wanting them to become more of a hardworking team, a more structured team, a more disciplined team, cut down on some of the east-west stuff, get a little more north-south, play the game hard, clog up the neutral zone. I mean, they were really defensively sound I think in those first couple months of the season and then you know that they have the type of skill players who can produce offense you know if they avoid some of those really costly mistakes now what we're seeing for the last couple months is a team that has slipped in a lot of those different areas and a team that's basically been playing 500 now since early December so when you look at the this current Rangers group do you see an identity and what is your take right now on the state of this team given some of the ups and downs that we've seen lately.
0: Yeah, I mean they, they, like you said, they started off the season so good that it's it's helped them to this point because as they said, they're still they're still four points up in the metro in first place over Carolina, right? So you, you still you still got a little bit of room here and time to kind of get things going. I think they're much more closer to the team that we saw earlier in the year than they are now. Um, I I think that some of the, I don't want to say bad habits. I think this is a team that in past years has, I mean, they've needed their power play. Right. And, and I know that that might be a tired, um, narrative with this Rangers team, but their five on five play I thought was better at the beginning of the year. That's trailed off. And I feel like if there's one thing to nitpick and I, I believe in this group, I think they're, they've got as good of a chance in the East as anybody. And if you're talking about well-built teams, which is always dangerous to say on paper, on paper from top to bottom, I think they're the best built team in the National Hockey League. I really do. They answer every single thing on paper. Where I find that they sometimes get caught up is, I feel like there's stretches where they maybe lack the killer instinct, you know, like putting teams away. We've seen that recently. Um, Sometimes, providing a spark and energy and there's times where you watch them and when they snap the puck around and you're sitting there like we mentioned at msg and that place is buzzing i mean it's a buzzsaw and it's electrifying but then we also have some times where it feels like there's a little bit of a lull right and i think that that's really important to have certain players understand that that's where i come in you know that that's where me as a supporting cast player and at least you know, one of my favorite guys to watch, I'm really – I love Will Cooley. Like, I'm a big Will, Will Cooley guy. And I think that he's able to bring some of that, you know, and and um, depth players that can kind of give a little bit of a, you know, lift of emotion. And um, it's a long season. You're going to go through stretches like that. That's almost why you need to have players like that because every team – and it, it really interesting, last night – I think this goes for a lot of teams. I'm not saying this is the case with the, the Rangers – I don't know if you caught Drew Doughty's comments last night.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, I did.
0: Yep. Yeah. Right. Talking about the LA Kings, and he's basically, and he's an outspoken guy, he always is. And he he made it. I love that he pointed this out too. Even though it's Drew Doughty's, like it, it can it may not like I may basically I'm paraphrasing here. Basically the needle might not move with me saying this to the guys all the time because I speak all the time. Right? It's gonna to have to come from other people. And this, again, talking about the LA Kings, he goes, we don't have a leadership problem. I don't believe they do. Anze like is one of the great leaders of our game. Um, they've got great leadership in that room. But he goes, it's not a leadership problem. It's a personality problem. And I find to go back and maybe I look at a ton of teams. I I cover the Penguins. That, that fits their n- narrative, too. And I think to some levels, it might fit the Rangers as well. Like where it's not always about saying something, but sometimes it is, but it's about doing something at a time when you're flat and doing something at a certain time. And maybe it's out of some guy's character and personalities. And, you know, I go back to Chris Kreider, love him, love Kreides. In 2012, we don't make it to the Eastern Conference Finals without getting him into the mix. And that was his first NHL games. He gave us such a boost. Crides is a fantastic player, going to go down as one of the great Rangers of all time. His personality, Mika's personality, I feel like sometimes they're very calm, which is a great attribute to have. You can't have just a wild man out there all the time and and, and just riding the roller coaster of emotions. But I think when you look at some of the leadership guys on the team, they're not necessarily, it's, it's not probably comfortable for them to do those types of things, whether it's being physical on the ice or saying certain things. And I'm not inside that room again, not calling those two guys out. I'm just saying that's where it falls on depth players. Like you got to get uncomfortable. You've got to, you got to contribute in other ways too. And and I don't know who that guy is in that room. I'm not in the room, but uh, it'll be interesting, interesting to see. I think this team will find their way out of this. Um, just putting teams away, being better like they were earlier in the year, five on five and just, just a little more energy and in, and in, in manufacturing that energy, I, I think will serve them well. But again, they're they're a team that is got a good as good of a chance in the Eastern Conference as anybody.
1: It's interesting because, you know, the debate that I hear from fans and even just in talking to different people around the league, around the organization, you know, there's some that point to the five on five stuff that you're touching on. And, and offensively, at five on five, they've really been a one line team this year. That Panarin, Trocek, Lafreniere line has been really good for them. But the rest of the of the offense, the rest of the forwards in particular, have not really been consistent in producing offense. So some people, as we look ahead to the trade deadline, are thinking, you know, they really could use a little more scoring punch to add some depth to this lineup but then on the other hand i've heard from people who point out some of the defensive breakdowns who point out some of the issues that they've had defending the rush recently and point out the i guess lack of intensity or lack of grit or lack of guys who are really going to play like their hair is on fire laviolette has talked recently about them being at their best when they're hunting but it hasn't felt consistently enough like they have that hunting mentality. So it almost sounds like you're saying maybe they could use more guys that, that bring that kind of a dynamic as opposed to going out and looking for scoring. Now, ideally, you find a guy that can do both, but that might not necessarily be the situation they're in. So where do you kind of stand on what maybe this roster could use a little bit more of?
0: I, I, think, it's, I think it's tweaking. I don't think it's anything major. Again, I, I love the build of this team, and I love the guys on this team. It's just you know finding, and I don't know who that is and and what that is exactly. What kind of player you're talking? About. I I will say this. Um, and you and I were just talking about some news today. No, Philip Heedle, like I'm actually really impressed at what they've done this year without him. Like he he is he has started to go and turn himself in his career to what I believe he could be a, an impactful like a game changer on certain nights. Like he can when his legs are going, he can create a ton um he's got the flexibility of moving up and down the lineup different positions but you know if he's if he's in the middle like and you look at the way guys would be slotted uh, potentially uh, this is a dangerous group and it's dangerous and they've been dangerous this year but yeah i mean i think that it's um it's a tweak it's it's finding out and and again I, i i probably look at this to a fault because i was always a bottom six guy but um you know, these guys certainly have each other's back We I don't I, I love and there's been situations. I remember I don't remember who it was exactly uh, laugh was trying to fight someone earlier this year for a hit. And like these guys have each other's back and they got some grit in that lineup. But just some guys in those those dog days and those moments where I've just always felt like you can't just expect the top guys got to score. Right. And that's a lot to have on their plate. Like I was never a player that got paid to, to put up points. That's a lot of pressure, but I don't want to put on their plate also. Like you got to give us, a, you got to give us a, a bump here and play and energy. Like they should do that, but you need some other help doing that too. So, you know, that's where other guys, whether it's a uh, Brozinski or, you know, I mentioned Will Cooley and and Barkley Goodrow and, Barclay like these guys just take on more of that, right? Provide more of that where you can just, you can manufacture energy. It's not hard to do. And I've always thought like when you have players, like for an example, and it's not about the rough stuff, tumble fighting all that, but I love, I love when players just like after a whistle, just hang around the, the crease of the opposing team just for a couple extra seconds. You know what I mean? You're not doing anything. You're not asking to fight. You're not going to get a penalty. But you're going to annoy the other team. And then they're going to give you a little shot after a whistle. And do it the next time. They'll give you a little shot. And next thing you know, it starts alleviating. alleviate, and you're like kind of a lightning rod. And then it takes some of the pressure off the other guys, where they can just go do their thing. And um, I, I think if they're able to find a guy like that in the bottom six, and and just kind of, they've got some good elevator guys who can move up and down. I think Blake Wheeler, Jimmy VC. I liked what they bring when they get bumped up in the lineup for, for stretches um, that those are the type of moves that I'm looking at with this team. I don't think they need any big headlining move. Um, they're just in a rough patch right now and, and they got to kind of try to figure the way out of it.
1: One of the big things during the rough patch, and I'm curious to pick your brain on this, maybe, Help explain to me and, and fans exactly what goes into being effective in this area. But Laviolette has talked a bunch about the rush defense. And, you know, you look out, whether it's analytics or whether it's just watching the games, they've been getting burned off the rush a lot during this rough skid that they've had. So, in your mind, what are maybe some of the, the keys to being good at defending the rush? Because, you know, today we talked with Laviolette a lot about the defensive pairs because it looks like he's making a couple little changes there, but it obviously starts. I think a lot of times in front of the defenseman, a lot of times it's neutral zone turnovers or whatever it might be. A lot of times you need the forwards really back checking hard to make sure that you guys aren't leaving yourself vulnerable on the back end. But like in your mind, a team like the Rangers, like, you know, what do they need to do best or what do they need to be on top of in order to cut down on some of the rush opportunities that they're given to the other team?
0: I think just from rush opportunities in general, um, most of the rush chances happen because the other team is either forcing a turnover. So that would go into like kind of the puck management category or it would fall under being a little too aggressive, whether it's deep pension and not being backed up. And and I think it's all like a trust factor because as a forward, I want my deep pension in the offensive zone because that gives us second chance opportunities in the offensive zone. But in order to do that, you better back them up. And you gotta make sure that you 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 have a, a high F3. And and once that starts becoming automatic, then you're expecting like when that puck goes around the boards to the weak side. I'm not watching to see what happens. I know my guy's pinching. And I'm I'm getting my butt out of there and I'm gonna get back and support him so he can do that. So um that's just more general speaking of of what kind of creates odd band rushes and then and then tracking back and being on the same page. I always felt like when you had staples. Um, when you're coming back and you're back checking for a, you gotta, you gotta back check hard and you gotta close that gap, um, which allows the defense to kind of be more aggressive and, 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 close their gap. Um, you gotta have back pressure and when you have that back pressure, it's everything. But then also to understand, to understand and have staples when you enter into your zone on the rush of who you're picking up and be very vocal with that and, and call it out and, and understand, you know, where the dangerous areas of the ice are. And um, yeah, I mean, that, that's all kind of uh, the, the big thing is, you know, just as, as a whole is, is puck management and then just having trust and having trust. Cause you want to play under Peter laviolette He wants an aggressive team. And the thing that I, I, I was actually looking at this and talking to, some people, as far as uh, with Patty Wall being and with the Islanders through two games, this guy's come in and what we what we knew they brought him in for is to provide energy and to provide um, like his message. I believe to that team is go go go, which is similar, I think, to what Peter Laviolette views. And but it's it's not even about making a bad read. It's just whatever that read is, do it with conviction. Like if you have a read to make, just freaking go, go and be committed to it. And at least being committed to it, your line mates and your teammates know that your body language is telling them what they need to do, how they can back you up. And I feel like sometimes as a player, you get in between when you get to those stages of the season where you're thinking too much and you're you know, you're halfway going, but you're not. And then it it creates some gray area. And then now everybody's trying to read off each other instead of just, I know what you're doing. So I think an aggressive team like this, just, you know, just again, it's going to come down to trust because if you're a defenseman and you want to pinch down, you're going to pinch down with conviction when you know, and you trust that you're backed up. And if you're not, Maybe you go in 75% effort because you're kind of not sure if you should be or if you've got the backup, and then it kind of creates some chaos. So, um, uh, you know, that that's something I think that the Islanders through two games have been better with. I, I, quite frankly, don't believe in that team. I don't think they're a playoff team, but that's something that's changed with them. But I think that's how Labby wants this team to be. Play with conviction in your decision-making.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's that seems like it's something that that is resonating in the locker room right now, and that they're actively talking about and trying to get back to because they had it earlier in the year, and now it seems like there is a little more of that overthinking and that that just lack of really feeling like every situation they're attacking instead of you know maybe being on their heels a little bit more, which we've seen recently. L- last thing I want to ask you about, especially from a player's perspective, is this. Laviolette has been super consistent. I think with the makeup of this lineup throughout the season, which for the players I've sensed has been a relief in a lot of ways, because last year we saw a lot of frequent lineup changes, and I think that that added to some of the frustrations. So Laviolette's been really consistent, but we talked about, you know, offensively, really that Panarin Trocheck line has been the only one producing consistently, and now today at practice, we saw a couple little tweaks. Wheeler was moved back up to that line with Zabana, and Kreider, and, and honestly, Jad and Kreider at 5-on-5 five five have not been super consistent this season, no matter who's playing with them, and then he had capo back down on that third line now, so moving him sort of back into the bottom six, and the D pairs are getting shaken up a little bit. So where do you stand on, like, how much a player might appreciate that consistency, but then what kind of spark maybe it can provide when things aren't going your way and, and how do you toe that line? Like, where do you think the Rangers are at from that perspective right now?
0: Yeah, that, that's, that's a great point. Cause I, I, I really like, and I liked as a player having consistency of who your line, line mates are. And it's, it's easy with the said line that you mentioned with Trocek, Panera and laugh because they've been great. So obviously you want to keep that together. And I also like the fact that you're not, you're not, you see some teams will steal from, a line that's clicking to get another line going and I never loved that like you got one thing going like let these guys figure it out and they've got some players in their lineup that can bump up like that like I don't know if I love Blake Wheeler playing top six for 82 games but for 10 games here five games there he he's good he can do that that, that's what the guy's done in his career he's a he's a wily vet he'll figure it out and uh, well, Jimmy Vc like their stretches earlier in the year, Jimmy Vc I thought was one of their best players through stretches, and I'm you know, he's got that ability. So, I, I like that you, you you stick with it, but you got to also have and know what buttons you can push at certain times. I think the one thing that's really hurt this team this year, and I mentioned before that having Hedel out and then having Kako miss time because now with Kako back. And it's taken him a little bit to get up to speed. I, I thought he was going to have a big year this year, and unfortunately, that he isn't. And a lot of that's due to not playing. But now it's like you got to try to figure this out, and you've got whatever it is, thirty some odd games to to go to figure it out, and hopefully get Heatle back. But I, I, I like that. I like that Lavi sticks with it, like figure it out. And I don't love when you're coming into the rink every day and you're wondering who your line mates are and you got to get in a groove and and some of the stuff you could learn from your line mates. You learn from struggling with them. You know what I mean? Like it's easy to play with people when the puck's going in, but how like we're going through a nasty stretch right now. And there's going to be some games where this throw check line, and I'm sure there has been, if you ask them where they're not really feeling it, well, guess what? You got to figure it out. You know what I mean? So uh, I I love when coaches do that. I I think it's important to know what buttons you could push, but give that, give guys a long runway to, to have success. And I think, I think laughs a perfect example because this is the first time in his career he's gotten that long run. And I think he's been really good. And I think he's going to get even better down the stretch here.
1: Yeah. It's an interesting, it's, I feel like the players just talking to them, like they really appreciate it. And I think that they prefer it this way. So I think that, That has been good from that standpoint, but yeah, the Kako thing is interesting just because it feels like his confidence is highest when he gets those opportunities to play in the lineup, and when he's getting yanked up and down, I think that that weighs on him a bit, and he's only been back from this injury for a really short period of time, but obviously he hasn't been playing great. I think he's still feeling it out, and LaViolette felt the need to move him back down, but it feels like when you look at the depth chart on this team, for them to really click on all cylinders. He's the guy that you feel like needs to be more of a permanent fixture in the top six versus asking an older guy like Wheeler to do it. So that's a little bit of a tough spot. And then the fans just keep asking about Mika and, and, and Chris being together. Cause that's been such a staple of this lineup for a long time, but that line has not generated really consistently this season. So would they benefit from a little time apart? I, I don't really think that that's what they want, but it's, I guess those are just some of the questions that start coming up when you're going through a bit of a stretch like this.
0: Yeah, uh, no, and those are fair points, but, like, at what cost, though? Like, how do you shake up Mika and Crides when the other line has been the reason why you're having success? You know what I mean? Like, I don't see you moving – I hate to use numbered lines. A lot of coaches don't like it, but, like, w- would you move one of them to spread the wealth and make it a third line? I I, I don't think you necessarily would. Um, we've seen these guys be so great, Crides and, and Mika, together. Um you know, I think it's just—it's one of those. It, it, I think a lot of times it's—it's it's the spark of the other guy, and that's what they're trying to find. Is it—is it Kako? Is it Wheeler? Is this someone else? Is that an area that they feel like internally they need to find someone else to to get in there and and play with? Uh, um, play with those two guys. I, I don't know, but these are guys like it's—it's it's just tough to. I hate to go back to, to to Pittsburgh, but this has been an ongoing problem for the Penguins. Is they try to get Evgeny Malkin going at times. And by doing that, they tinker with the top line of Crosby, Gensel, and Rust. That line is one of the best lines five on five in hockey and has been for a few years. But then they'll tinker with that line to get to jump start the other line. And then then the Crosby line suffers. You know what I mean? Like it's you're you're stealing from one and, and it's not really helping the cause. I like the we've seen enough from Chris Kreider we've seen enough from Mika. These guys will be fine. They'll figure it out. Um, it's just trying to find that right mix of a player on their line that can give them that spark. And that's all they need is a spark. And, and when those guys get hot, I mean, the goals can come in bunches with, with Mika and Chris.
1: Awesome. Mike, I've taken a lot of your time. I really do appreciate it. This has been a fun conversation. I could keep going, but we'll save it maybe for another time. I really do appreciate you coming on the show. This has been fun and, and hopefully we'll get to do it again somewhere down the line.
0: Yeah, anytime. Let me know anytime, and uh, who knows, come playoff time, if any of the listeners see me at MSG with my Rangers hat on, come say hello.
1: Just be careful. He might be a couple beers deep at that point.
0: Yeah, if I'm not looking you straight in the eye, just save it (laughs) for another day.
1: (laughs) All right, thanks, Mike. All right. And we're back. That was a really fun conversation. (laughs) went a little bit longer than I intended on, but it was one of those things where I just sort of looked down toward the end. I was like, oh, wow, we've been talking for longer than we said we were going to. But Mike was very gracious with his time. He said he was enjoying it as well and didn't mind staying late. So there we go. Got a lot of stuff to talk about there. And I didn't even get to ask him about sort of sizing up the whole league, which I thought I probably would, but we were so deep into the Rangers conversation that I was interested in just keeping that going. And you definitely sense some optimism from him there. I think he still feels like this is a really high quality team that's just going through a rut and still has plenty of time to write the ship. So that maybe was music to some of your ears. Also interesting to hear his perspective as a former player on very specific things like whether it was defending the rush or what it means to have lineup consistency and all that sort of stuff. So definitely appreciated having him on and we'll definitely try to have him on again in the future. In the meantime, though, I got to get to some Twitter questions from you guys because this is a long episode already. So I want to roll up my sleeves and dive right in on those. And we will start with Jazz Ernest, who wrote What do you make of Laviolette's decision to keep Truba and Miller together despite the fact that they've not been great recently? How would you line up the D pairs? So, this is a good question. And this is a topic that, with all the different news and notes and things that we went through in the first segment, I didn't even address. But, oh, by the way, the Rangers changed up their defensive pairs at Thursday's practice. So, I'm glad you brought this up, Jazz, because this is something that I definitely didn't want to forget to address. On this episode. So what we saw on Thursday was interesting, and not really the direction that I thought LaBulette would go if he was going to break up the D-pairs, but he decided to, as you noted, keep Miller and Truba together while splitting up that Fox Lindgren pair. He had Fox skating with Eric Gustafson, and he had Ryan Lindgren skating with Braden Schneider. When we asked him for an explanation on this. He basically said that he really liked the way that those D pairs performed in Anaheim on Sunday. And if you went back to that game, if you were watching, I know it was late here on the East Coast, although that one wasn't quite as late because it was like a 530 Pacific time start. But the Rangers, when they were down to nothing, they started to shake up a lot of stuff. And one of the things that he did was to push for offense. He had Fox and Gustafson And those two were really effective together. And actually, interestingly, as I wrote some analysis early this week on the lineup and where they might consider some changes, one of the things that struck me was that pretty much no matter who Eric Gustafson has played with this season, they have seen a bump in their numbers, whether it's traditional numbers or analytics. Very positive underlying numbers for anybody who's played with Gustafson, him and Fox, And it's a relatively small sample size, but I think they've played maybe not quite 100 minutes together this season. I actually think I have this pulled up here. I can tell you exactly what it is. They have played 60-plus minutes together this season. So not insignificant, but not huge either. But in those 60-plus minutes, their expected goal rate is like 75%. So clearly that is a possession D pair, a pair that is going to play a lot of offense, have the puck on their stick a lot and create more, which is a problem as we've touched on. We we focused a lot on the forwards, but LaViolette said that by putting those two together, perhaps to start the game Friday night against Vegas, he would use them situationally as an offensive D pair, as a pair that he's going to throw out there for offensive zone draws or just situations where he feels like he wants a little more possession, a little more push. And so it's kind of interesting from that strategic standpoint that you could line those two guys up together and say, okay, well, when I feel like this particular shift, we want to go for a little more scoring. We want to go for a little more offense. I'm going to lead on those guys. Whereas then he said by putting Schneider and Lindgren together, that is a pair that he plans on using more in defensive situations. So I think he believes that he's going to maybe play to the strengths of each pair in that way and be able to use them in more specific situations. So it's kind of interesting the way he explained it. And I guess from that perspective, it does make some sense. Now I thought if he was Going to make changes, it would have been what we saw him experiment with a little bit during training camp. And that was Adam Fox playing alongside Keandre Miller and Lindgren then playing with Jacob Truba. But it's become pretty clear that LaViolette does not want to break up that Miller Truba pair. He leans on them, he relies on them. I think he trusts them more than any of his other D pairs. And when I asked him today, point blank, have you considered breaking them up? He said, not at this point. And when I asked him about some of the trends that we've seen from that line, specifically them being on ice for more goals against in this second half of the season than they were in the first, we talk all the time about that December 5th cutoff. Before that December 5th cutoff, I think it was 23 games played, that pairing, Trouba and Miller, was only on ice for nine goals against. A huge improvement for them from last season when they were on ice for a lot of goals against they were really solid really stout really steady for the rangers in those first couple months of the season but in 22 games played together since that december 5th cutoff remember miller missed a couple games for personal reasons but those two have played 22 games together since december 5th in those 22 games they've allowed 19 goals while they're on the ice so they went from nine goals allowed in basically the same amount of games to now 19 goals allowed in the same 20 plus games post December 5th. So clearly that D pair has slipped. But Laviolette's two main points on that, and they're somewhat valid for sure, are that A, the team defense as a whole has slipped in these last couple months. It's not just that D pair, and specifically the rush stuff that we've talked about, the opposing rush coming down the Rangers all the time. Is not always on the D pair. A lot of times that's forwards turning over pucks. That's forwards not coming back hard enough into the defensive zone. You just heard Mike Rupp break it down. So you can't always pinpoint those on the D pair. And a lot of times it leaves the D pair, along with the goalie, as we've talked about, in a very vulnerable position. So that Laviolette believes is part of the reason that the numbers have gotten worse for those two. And he also mentioned. The difficult assignments that he puts on them. he puts more on their plate than any other d pair. They are the ones that when it comes to matching up with the top line for the opposing team, if you pay attention to it within a game, they get more of those shifts than anybody else. And as Laviolette said, when you're put out there against the best players all the time, those other players are sometimes going to get you. So he feels like given all of that, that they've still held up pretty well. Now, Within some of these games, we've seen mistakes from both Miller and Truba recently. Those guys have both had some rough games in these last few weeks, no doubt about it. And there have been some very glaring mistakes. And I think in some ways, when you see a guy get beat, like I remember one of the games on the West Coast trip, Truba just getting completely beat down the right side of the ice and that leaving somebody on the far post wide open that was a glaring mistake. I know Miller has had some pretty costly turnovers and some defensive lapses as far as coverage is concerned as well. So that makes it really easy to say, oh, well, that D pair stinks right now. That D pair is the reason that the Rangers are giving up more goals or whatever it is. Some of that is fair and valid, but I also think that the team defense concept here has to be considered. And when you're facing a three on two as a D pair, that's kind of a, a no win situation for you. A lot of the time so while i certainly think you can make the argument that a shakeup is warranted and i also think that if you're gonna do it now feels like a better time than any other point in the season because if you wait too long experimenting with new d pairs when there's only a month or so left in the season i don't really know if you want to go down that road i think you want to have things solidified a little bit sooner so now with 35 games remaining in the season feels like a time where you can afford for maybe five to 10 games to try something a little bit different and see how it works. And then know that you can go back to what you relied on throughout most of the season, the most comfortable setting for the defenseman if it doesn't work. So I do wonder if maybe it would have made sense to experiment with those guys being apart. Obviously he chose to experiment with changing the other two pairs and keep those guys together. And, And I just think that that speaks to for better or worse LaViolette really trusts those two guys together. He really likes those two guys together. And those are the two defensemen that he wants on his shutdown pair. You could try Lindgren there with Truba. I think that that's something that I would strongly consider. And then I, I would be very fascinated to see how Miller and Fox work together. There could be some pitfalls, but there could also be some tremendous upside there. So that's where I was leaning. That's what I thought we might see. Lavilet clearly has chosen to go in a different direction and we'll see how it plays out. But I I think my final conclusion here on Miller Truba specifically is some criticism is warranted clearly. They have not been as effective as a D-pair as they were for those first 20 plus games of the season, but I also think that there's a lot of things going wrong from a defensive standpoint for the Rangers during this month month and a half skid that they've had and Pinning it strictly on those two, especially given the difficult assignments that they get every night, is probably also not entirely fair. All right, let's get to our next question, which comes from Eddie Nathan, who wrote, Can you please address the mika Kreider issue this team has? It's been several years since Booch was traded, and more than a dozen right wingers. Both are great on the power play, but they don't produce nearly enough at 5-on-5. It's a problem. Why is the team so afraid to break them up? Eddie, it's a valid question. And you heard me just ask Mike Rupp that same question. I think part of it is that the Rangers don't feel like they really have any other great options. Laviolette has repeatedly said that he does not want to break up that panarin trocek Lafreniere line. Now, I've written, I think that you could make a case that they should actually do that because maybe trying Mika with Panarin and Lafreniere, I wouldn't want to separate those two. I think they really like playing together. I think it's done wonders for Lafreniere this season. So I wouldn't want to separate him from Panarin, but maybe sliding Mika in between the two of them, basically doing a center swap would be worth at least looking at, seeing at least if it gives them some kind of a spark or Changes the dynamics in some way, because I do feel that we've piled criticism on the right wingers, whether it's Capo Caco or now Blake Wheeler, who looks like we'll be playing in that spot again Friday night against Vegas. Those guys have not been very effective. I'm not going to say that they have been, but you also have to look at the other two parts and and they are star players in this team. They are guys that are relied on heavily to produce offense on this team. And as Eddie touched on, five on five, it just has not been consistent enough. Mika has one goal in his last 12 games. And I believe it's even longer than that if you look for five on five goals. So clearly those guys are not being productive enough. And it's a difficult question to answer because part of me is like, well, they're not getting the job done. So therefore you definitely should break it up. But at the same time, When you look at the rest of this lineup, especially knowing that Laviola has said publicly he does not want to separate Panarin, Trocek, and Lafreniere, well, what are your other options there? Because I think if you're going to break up Kreider and Zabanajad, you would have to break up that Panarin, Trocek, Lafreniere line. And if the coach is telling you he doesn't want to do that, what are the other alternatives? You're not going to play Mika Zabanajad with a couple wingers who are in your bottom six, you know, I have heard people talk about Will Cooley being up there. I mean, fine in a pinch, given the lack of other options that they have. I think I could get on board with that, even though I do think on a really good team, Will Cooley is better off being in your bottom six. I think it's a lot to ask of a rookie to, to play up in a in a big role like that. But fine. So if you want to try Cooley up there, but then who, who are your other winger options? With Wheeler there, I'm not sure I would feel great about that line. Kako clearly Laviolette has wanted to move down in the lineup, and I think part of the reason for that is he's setting up a potential Philip Hedl Capo Kako connection on that third line. Whenever Hedl does come back, you know I don't think that Mika with Jimmy Vesey or Tyler Pitlick or Barclay Gaudreau is going to get it done. So again, if he's not willing to separate that Panarin Trocheck Lafreniere line, your hands are sort of tied as far as breaking up Kreider and Zabanojad. It's not a great. Situation Again, I talked at the end of the first segment about the lack of depth, not enough internal options emerging from this rebuild era, not enough of those prospects turning into guys who can play maybe in your top six right now. And so that's put the Rangers in a pretty difficult position. But absolutely, I agree that they need more at five on five out of Kreider and Zabanajad. And again, to me, I think that I would consider playing Panarin and Lafreniere with Mika in the middle, even just for a couple games, just to see how it looks. And then you play Kreider with Trocek, who if you go back and look at the numbers from last year, they had a structure they played together and they were very productive. So I think those guys have shown that they mesh pretty well together. And then you figure out who the right winger is, whether it's Kako or Wheeler or what have you. Getting back, though, to the point that I made about When Hedl returns, because I see that a lot of people have asked about where does Hedl fit in as well, that is kind of coming into focus now too. We don't know exactly when it's going to be, but Kako moving down to the third line, I think sets the stage for him to potentially play with Philip Hedl. We know those guys have a long history together. We know they've had some pretty good chemistry together. And then with Will Cooley as a left winger on that line, that could be an interesting look that would certainly feel a lot more dynamic than what they've been rolling out there recently. Although I will say that if you look at the analytics for that line when it was Cooley, Brodzinski, and Wheeler, pretty good. Surprisingly good, actually, when I looked it up. But obviously, you would feel better if Philip Heedle is your center on that line. And then putting Kako there, I think, would be maybe not a security blanket, but would provide an extra sense of comfort for both players. I think for Kako, he's definitely... I talked to him a little bit today... He's disappointed about this, and he feels like he had a couple good games, a couple not-so-good games, and maybe the rug's being pulled out from him a little quickly on that. He didn't use those words. That's just my sense. But I think it would ease the blow for him from a confidence standpoint if he was playing with Heedle, a guy that you know he really enjoys playing with. So that seems to be the writing on the wall there. But then that leaves that top line with Kreider and Zabanajad, who have felt pretty stale recently, and Wheeler, who... You know, Mike Rupp seemed to feel like in a short stint, that's not the worst idea. And I guess I can't completely disagree that they did score some goals during that stretch when they played together in December. But long term, that's not the answer. So then that would add even more emphasis on the Rangers going out and needing to make a move at the deadline, which pretty nicely leads us into our final question, which comes from Chris Daly, who wrote, If you had to talk to fans or talk fans off the edge of why we shouldn't worry even during this slump, what would you say? Well, the deadline is one thing that I would certainly point out, and I do believe that the Rangers are going to fortify this roster, and so that, of course, will help. I don't think they're going to have a ton of cap space now that it looks more likely that Philip Hedo will come back. I wrote about this the other day, but it looks like when he comes back depending on how many days of accrual they have leading up to the deadline. They're probably going to be able to get themselves into that $1 million to $1.5 million range as far as available salary cap space. So that's not a whole lot to work with. Now, you waive one player when you add one, so that could add a little bit more cap space. But I think I said this on last week's episode. You're still probably looking at $2 million or less in total available salary cap space once all the dust settles. So that limits them. But I still absolutely think they're going to utilize that space as best they can and go out and try to get someone. So A, you have reinforcements coming in, you hope with Hedel, and then you anticipate with at least one trade deadline acquisition. And then B, as we just talked about with Mike, you have to feel like, This point that the Rangers are at right now, they're not as bad as it looks like they are right now. They're probably not as good as it looked like they were in that first month and a half of the season where they were lighting the world on fire, but the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. And at the very least, they've proven that they can play at that high level, that when they're disciplined and structured and sticking to the principles that LaViolette has been harping and effectively got them to play by earlier in the season that they can hang with the best teams in the league. We've seen them beat Boston, which is probably going to be their primary competition in the Eastern Conference. We've seen them rack up wins at a very high rate. And so you know that they're capable of doing that. Now, are they going to be able to get back to that level? That is the big question. That's what we're looking to see for the rest of the season. But you also have to feel like guys with the track record of Igor Shosturkens, and Adam Fox, and Mika Zabanajad. None of those guys have been on top of their games recently. So assuming that they're going to at least get closer back to form, closer to what we know them to be, and knowing that the Rangers have played an effective style of hockey under La Violette earlier this season, there is definitely hope. This is not a hopeless situation. There is hope that they can get back to being a true contending team. Do I feel like there are very legitimate questions surrounding this team? Absolutely. Am I sold that they are among, let's say, the top three, four, five teams in the league? No, I'm not right now. I think that they have a lot of questions to answer. We addressed a lot of them in the first segment, whether it's team defense, defending against the rush, puck management, secondary scoring. A lot of these issues are very obvious to us right now because of the losses. And the hope is that that will allow the Rangers to hone in on them, address them, and be better for it in the long run. We've heard multiple players say this, and this might be the last thing a lot of fans want to hear right now, but going through adversity can make you stronger. And I absolutely believe that that's true. But how you respond to that adversity is what really matters. And now we're going to get a chance to see how the Rangers respond, whether it's the front office, what do they do, Who do they go out and acquire? How do they make this roster better? Because clearly this roster has some holes and needs to get better. And it's going to be tricky for Chris Drury because he does not have a whole lot of maneuverability right now to do it. But he has some. It's not a completely hopeless situation. He will be able to do something. The question is, will he make the right moves? Whether you look at the coaching staff, they're being tested right now. They had this honeymoon period. Things were great. They've shown that they can get this team to play the right way, play the way that they want them to play, and that can lead to a lot of wins. But now they have to correct on the fly. Now they have to make an adjustment. Now they have to get them back as close to that level as possible. And then ultimately, above all else, it comes down to the players. Because this is, in some ways, I think, going to be a moment of reckoning for this core. Because while we can pinpoint the lack of development and say that the Rangers don't have enough of those players that came out of the rebuild impacting the roster right now, and I think that that's fair. We also know that the Rangers made their bet on their established guys. They locked Adam Fox, Mika Zibanejad, Chris Kreider, Artemi Panarin, Jacob Truba, Igor Shesterkin. They locked these guys up to long-term deals. They placed their bet that these guys were good enough to lead this team to the promised land, and now this is the time for them to do it. It's a really talented core It's a very good core. But the question is, can they be a great core? So that is what I think they're going to have to solve right now. That is the big overarching question going into the second half of the season and looking ahead to the playoffs. And if they fall short again, if it's another first round exit or or if they disappoint a lot in the playoffs, then I think it's going to require some real looking in the mirror this offseason because that's when you might have to look at this core and say, hey, maybe they're not good enough maybe we need to think about more drastic changes to this roster if we're going to get it over the hump. I think that that very well could be a conversation that comes. But now is the moment. And I think they know it deep down. A lot of the players have hinted at this kind of stuff. They know that this is a a crucially important season for them. It's a win now season for them. It's an all-in season for them. You're going to see Chris Drury act accordingly at the trade deadline. And these players feel it. They want to go out and prove themselves. I think they're highly motivated to do so. I think that humbling loss to the Devils last year in the first round is certainly serving as motivation as well. And so now we're going to see if they can rally together. And that's exciting. Like If I'm talking to fans and saying, here's why you should be excited, that is why you should be excited for the rest of this season. Right now, especially I know when you're staying up late to watch those West Coast games and they're coming out flat or they're losing in heartbreaking fashion that stinks that makes you angry that makes you doubt this team and they've earned some of those doubts recently but we've also seen them do some pretty cool stuff whether that was earlier this season whether that was a couple of years ago when they went on that run to the Eastern Conference final so we know that they're capable of doing good things capable of doing exciting things how good that's the big question right now but As low as it might feel to you right now, I I do believe there will be another hot streak for this team. There will be a period where they're playing better than they are right now. All that stuff will probably come back. And there's a lot of guys who are playing under what, I guess, in in baseball terms, you would say the back of their baseball card shows. So you have to feel like some of those guys are going to get their groove back at some point. And then you'll feel a lot better about where this team is at. So all hope isn't lost, but... Certainly, I think the intrigue and the questions and wondering exactly how good this team can be, especially when it's really going to count in the playoffs, that is something that we're going to be talking about for multiple episodes more now and certainly watching very closely in the coming weeks and months. All right. With all of that, this might be our longest episode of the season. So I hope you guys, if you made it all to the end, I appreciate you. Thanks for hanging in there with me. I want to say thank you to Mike Rupp again. I want to say thank you to everybody who submitted questions this week. I will be back next week, probably just on the normal schedule. The team doesn't have any games next week, but I still think we'll we'll work an episode in at some point. So I'll keep you posted on the plans for that. But until then, everybody take care. Try to keep those stress levels at a minimum. Try to enjoy the ride. And I will talk to you next week.